Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Purim is coming up, and uh, let's, let's, let's start talking about it. And just take a few steps back. Talk about Shabbos a little bit. Talk about Yom Kippur a little bit. And try to kind of put it all together. So, one of the things that I noticed when, when people start to, start to be inspired by Shabbos and just wanting to get closer to it and everything like that, one of the things that I think sort of like is a sort of a little bit confusing is what, what is this whole concept of, of rest or what is this whole concept of not doing work, right? So um, a lot of people sort of like springboard because that's a, it's a beautiful thing. Like, uh, you know, a day of rest is fantastic. Like, wow, I don't, I don't have to do any work. I know when I first started keeping Shabbos, I, 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 used to, I used to sometimes think of it as Fortress Shabbos, that it's sort of like, that it was sort of like this time space, like oasis, really, and that the phone wouldn't ring, and it just, I mean, I look forward to, one of the highlights of my week is turning off my cell phone before Shabbos. I, I love doing that. It's like, it's, it's, it's redemptive, you know? And, you know, you, you walk into the house, and, you know, you know, it just it, it smells great from the from the food that's been prepared, and you know the table ideally is set, and all the all these all these things. You know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. So, so anyway, a lot of people when they when they first start to to get close, they they, they first start on their, their 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 journey toward learning more and things like that. They say, well, wait a second. You know what? I, I, I want to do things that are restful for me. You know what's incredibly restful for me? Shopping. I love shopping. I love being able to go to the mall and just take my time and relax and go into various stores and things like that. That's, that's restful for me. So, so why are you telling me that I can't do that on Shabbos? Because now I'm confused. Or, or you know something? It's not... It's to, for me to check my messages on my phone or to surf the internet or whatever it is, that's not work for me. Why, why are you saying that's work? I mean, that's, these are really weird things that you're saying. So, so in order to try to solve these problems, let's just sort of like take a look at it from the, from the Torah context so that we understand. So a lot of the confusion comes from the fact that we're sort of like drawing conclusions based on some English words right now. So this is this is this is the beginning of the problem, but let's let's look at it from a Torah context, from a halakha context, and then get some get some clarity. So so work is actually defined in perhaps a very surprising way when it comes to the laws of Shabbos. When when it there are thirty nine categories of work, and work is defined by what it took in order to build the mishkan. Which was the holy tabernacle in the in, in the desert when we were traveling through the desert, and which then which was a prototype for the Beis Hamikdash, which is this portal between heaven and earth, this sort of linking of heaven and earth together. So, so if there are thirty nine categories, and if any of the labor that a person is doing today, in right now, you know wherever you are in the world. If it's in one of these 39 categories, which contributed toward building the tabernacle, the Mishkan, then it's called work, even if it doesn't involve any exertion of effort or labor. So let me give you an extreme example, okay? Let's say, for instance, since caring is, is one of those categories, let's say someone leaves the house, and we're talking about an area without an A-roof, where it's not permitted to carry. If there's an A-roof, of course it's permitted to carry uh, certain things. But let's say you are carrying a tiny scrap of paper in your pocket or something like that, or, you know, whatever it is, 
and, and you, you walk outside in an area that's a, a public area that doesn't have an air. So that would be called caring. That would be called work. So, so from here you see that there's no correlation between work and exertion of effort because that required zero exertion of effort, right? So, and by the way, there is an interesting uh, Mishnah that says that one of the important things for a person to do before Shabbos is to empty their pockets. And, and the, the Rav who brings that in, in, in the Talmud says that this is an important law because the idea is that, that someone might be in, Ar- in an Eruv area at the time, but then they'll come to not be in an Eruv uh, protected area and they'll come to carry. So um, I wanted to say on a deeper level, I think that this also suggests that, that when Shabbos comes, that you have to empty your pockets, meaning get rid of all the worries from the previous week. You know, that's, that's, that's important, so that you, 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 you enter into Shabbos with just, just a sense of newness, and it's like, okay, it's whatever happened, happened, I'm moving forward. And by the way, the Basham Tov had, I, I understand, a, a custom that Friday night that they would serve farfel, which is like a, a noodle, and that it was a play on words in Yiddish, because there's, in Yiddish you have a phrase called, it's fafalim meaning it's over, it's over. So the farfel on the plate was, would remind them that if you had any troubles, any issues that are still bothering you, it's fafalim, it's over, it's, forget about it, we're moving forward. So, so anyway, but, but let's get deeper, let's get deeper. So now you have the, the basic explanation of what rest is, what work is, okay, and why um, we sort of like maybe will we'll stumble if we just sort of like extrapolate based on the English translations of these words. This is actually, these words are actually fairly intensely legalistic and are referring toward the building of the tabernacle. Now why, that at first blush might sound very archaic because there's no tabernacle right now. There's not even a base of Ignash. Okay, so now we have to go deeper. Now we have to understand really something very intense and, and I think very beautiful, which is, and this is my analysis, you, you, you have to understand that what is the Mishkan really? When we're talking about the tabernacle, what is that really? So the rabbis teach that when God completed the Mishkan, or rather when we finished building the Mishkan, which was on the first day of the month of Nisan, that's coming up, right? It's the month of miracles. That's where Pesach is and everything like that. It's the month of redemption. And, and the, the, the rabbis actually say that, you know, that's one of the months where you can really anticipate the, 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 the great redemption is in Nisan, okay? So on the first day of Nisan, the, the Mishkan was, was finished. And it says that Hashem rejoiced over the building of the Mishkan like he did with the creation of the entire world. And in fact, the Mishkan is a microcosm. It's a miniature of the perfected world. So now when we're talking about the Mishkan, we have to understand it's, it's way more than just a, a shul that was built thousands of years ago. We're talking about a microcosm of the perfected world. And by the way, it also stands for a microcosm of a human being. So it's not just the world, it's the human being at the same time. And I always like to share this, this um, parable that, that I read one time because I think it, it, it applies to this so beautifully. And, and it goes like this. So there's a, there's a, a, in this story, there's a father and he's um, just, ah, he's so exhausted. It's the end of a work day. I just, he hasn't got any strength. He gets home, he 
plunks down in a chair. He just wants to like just rest, read the paper, just kind of relax a little bit. He's got a young child, and the young child is so happy to see that his father is home and really wants to play. And the father has no strength, has no energy. So the father like, is trying to think, like, how can I buy some time? So he sees in the paper that he's reading, there's a, on that page there's a complicated map of the world. So he takes that and he says, okay, he gets an idea. He tears it into lots of different small pieces, and he says to the child, the small child, when you put together this map of the world... <laughs> Then, then we'll play. Okay? So, like, a very, very short time later, the child comes, he's put together the entire map of the world. The father's amazed. He's like, like, how did you do that? And the child says back to him, it was simple. On the other side, there was a picture of a human being. And when I put that together, the whole world fell into place. Right? So, you see, the rabbis teach that if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. And we know, like the Tamar Devara, like these from the Ramak, these Kabbalistic texts, talk about how each person is actually a microcosm of the entire world at the same time. So you understand that both of these ideas were going on in terms of the Mishkan. It was a miniature of the perfected universe and a miniature of the perfected human being as well, simultaneously. And those aren't two separate ideas. That's what we're learning right now, that they're ideas within ideas. It's a, they're, they're consistent. They're microcosms, worlds within worlds, if you will. Okay. Now, let's get back to Shabbos. Because we said, okay, we're still, when we talk about keeping the laws of Shabbos and not doing the 39 forms of malacha, of work, which went into building the Mishkan, that this is still very, very relevant today. How so? So you see something beautiful, which is that during the six days of the, work, the, the week, you are permitted to do the 39 forms of labor, which means that there is still a form of construction that's taking place. What is that form of construction during the six days of the week that's taking place? We are still building and perfecting the world. We are still building and perfecting ourselves. That's what's going on. But now this is even deeper. Why can't we do it on Shabbos? Because on Shabbos you would say, hey, wait a second, that's the day where I can even do more building and more perfecting. But what if, but clearly you can't. You know why? Because no more building needs to be done on that. Because there's an aspect of perfection that's in this world. It doesn't need to be built. That's why we're not doing the 39 forms of labor. Because on Shabbos, it doesn't need it. That day is already complete. See, there's a little bit of perfection that's in this world. It's not, it hasn't completely flourished and manifested itself yet. But, it, but it's there. It's there. And now, listen to this. The more you get into sync with Shabbos, the more you get into sync with the perfection of the world. Okay, I'm going to say that again. We just said that we're not working on Shabbos because that day, so to speak, is already built. Right? So you're not doing the 39 forms of labor to build the Mishkan because you don't have to because it's already built. Which means that that degree of perfection is already in the world. Which means, and here's the point, listen again, which is that the more I get in touch with Shabbos, the more I get in touch with the degree of perfection which is already in the world. That's, that's, a, beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing, right? Okay. So now, 
Let's extend this idea. And, and by the way, what do we say? We say that Shabbos is Me'olam which means that it is a little taste of Olam meaning to say what? Olam means perfection. The world to come means perfection. So if this is a little bit of, of perfection, that means that, be, that, that that doesn't need the building because that, that aspect of perfection is already, you can experience it on the day of Shabbos. Okay. And that's why, you know, just again, just, just to take a pause, just to make it real and everything like that. It's a, another campaign of mine that, that people should know where, wherever they're listening to this, all around the world, should know that, that Shabbos really is a team sport, right? Like, like don't, if you, if, you want to, if you want to experience Shabbos the way we're talking about it right now, to, to, it's, it's, if, you're, if you're just sitting at home and not doing this and not doing that, right? That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about Shabbos. You know, it, we're talking about not just observing Shabbos, we're talking about celebrating Shabbos. Shabbos is there to be celebrated with, with, with friends and, and, and just everything, just like that. That's, then, then you begin to understand what it is we're talking about, right? I remember, you know, like when I first started keeping Shabbos, it was like, wait a second, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And it's like, what is going on? And then it's like, it's like, it's like a kind of music, it's like once you understand what the rhythm of that day is, and then you get in sync with what the rhythm of that day is, then all of a sudden it's sort of like you, there was this epiphany for me. It's like, wait, you mean I get to do nothing? <laughs> you know, which is like, wow, this is fantastic. Now, now having said I get to do nothing, it's almost like that joke on Seinfeld where it's sort of like it's a show about nothing. If you, if you, from a writing standpoint, I can promise you that is one of the most complicated, intricately plotted shows around. So, like, the idea that it's a show about nothing, it's like, if you look at the story math that goes into one of those episodes of how all the, all the storylines tie together, it is not a show about nothing, you know? So it's a little bit like what I'm thinking about Shabbos right now, which is that it's like, you know, you say, ah, oh, I get to do nothing. Meanwhile, I am busy, like, from like the beginning, it's like 25 hours of nonstop. But nonetheless... You know, there is this sense of, of, of freedom, you know, which is, which is beautiful. Okay, so now let's go deeper. What is the Shabbos, of, and we're getting to Purim, by the way. What is the, what is the Shabbos of Shabbos? It says it right in the Torah itself. The Shabbos of Shabbos, right? There, there, there's only one answer to that question. There's only one thing, one, only one day falls into that category. That's Yom Kippur. So that's the, that's the holiest day of the year. So now, wow, that means that there really is a, an, an aspect to perfection on that day. In other words, if I don't have to do any work on Shabbos, or if I'm not allowed to do any work on Shabbos because that day is already, you know, a, 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 has a semblance of perfection to it in this world, then all the more so I can't do anything on the holiest day of the year, which is called the Shabbos of Shabbos. And by the way, in terms of not having to do anything, you know, we're, we're all doing tshuva on that day, but you should know there's an opinion in the Gemara, it's in Yuma 85b, if you want to look it up from Rebbe, who says that the day itself is so high and so holy that the day itself cleanses you, as though you're entering into a mikvah. Just like the mikvah cleanses you, that this time-space coordinate, this light that's coming down on Yom Kippur, 
everyone's like in a mikvah, that the, that the day itself is cleansing you. Okay, now still we do tshuva, but you should know that there's this opinion that it's just like, it's just you really, you really don't have to do anything, right? Okay, it's not how we hold, but, but you should know that that is an aspect of the day. So that degree of perfection is coming from above to below. Okay. Now everybody knows that Purim is not called Purim in the Talmud. Purim has a special name, which is Yom Kippurim. Do you hear the word Yom Kippur in there? Yom, it's called Yom Kippurim. And then if you want to be very literal about it, or deep about it, so the, the Ari points out that it's Yom Kippur in Hebrew means like. Yom Kippurim technically means a day like Purim, which means that 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 Yom Kippur is only a day like Purim, which means Purim is even higher than Yom Kippur. <laughs> this is an amazing thing. Okay, now the table is set, and now we've got the ability to discuss Purim. Now, are you ready? What did we say? Because this is this is a this is an, an amazing thought. I think. What did we say up until now? We said that that basically. On Shabbos, we're not doing the 39 forms of malacha because that's how you build the Mishkan. And on, on Shabbos, it's, it's already built. It's already built. You don't have to... Or that, that part of it is already built. You don't have to do any building on that. Okay. All the more so on Yom Kippur, right? Because that's the Shabbos of Shabbos. Okay. But that Purim is even higher than Yom Kippur. Now, what does that mean? That means that on Purim you can do all 39 forms of malacha. Wow. <laughs> Which means the level of fixing and building of the world that you can do on Purim is even beyond any other day of the entire year. Because you're mamish in this world. You're eating. You're davening. You're running around doing chesed and love and kindness and tzedakah for everyone. You're literally being united with everyone else and you're building the world in a way that can't even be done on Yom Kippur. I said last week, if you want to hear that talk, we called it Purim, Einstein, and Newton, right? And we were talking about just different ways of understanding all these things. And we said in that talk, I'll just review this point, that why is Yom Kippur only like Purim because on Yom Kippur we're like angels. We're not eating, we're not drinking, we're, we're, we're standing a lot during certain long sections of prayers and it was explained to me, why are we standing? Because angels don't have knees. Right? So, so <laughs> when, you, when you sit, you're, you're using your knees. But, you know, these are just all, like we say, really loudly. Why? Why do we say it? It's the only day all year that we say it loudly. Why? Because it says that Moshe Rabbeinu heard the angels saying that, and he sort of like borrowed the prayer. So we kind of whisper it because it's really their prayer. So during the year we whisper it because it's their prayer. It's not really our prayer. But on Yom Kippur we're like angels so we can say We're part of the angel club. There's no problem. You know? But what's the problem? We're not angels. <laughs> so since we're not angels this gets back to the Yom Kippurim. Right? We're only like angels. That day we're like angels but not technically angels. But on Purim, we can fully embrace our own humanity because we are people. And then 100% 
100% we can use the, you know, the actual physical reality that we're experiencing in this, in this level of existence in order to elevate everything in the world. And then everything has the ability to just flip right over. So, so part of this work, how do you do it? You say, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, this Purim, I'm, I'm going to build the world. I'm going to build the world. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to do it. So I had this thought in terms of explaining an interesting halacha regarding uh, Shalach Munas. Okay, now remember, the idea is that when Haman sort of like kind of made his argument for the destruction of the Jewish people to Ahasuerus, one of the key points of his argument was this is a people that's completely spread out. And the rabbis understand from that that what, what he was doing was explaining that there's a lot of hatred among us for each other. And we're really disuni- dis- 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 disunified. And so one of the fixings of Purim is that we do actions that are bringing us together out of love, right? In fact, um, to reach this, this state of adiloyada, to be sort of like beyond, to, and we say we do that through drinking, but Rabbi Nachman says you can do it through love, just through avas Yisrael. In other words, that, that it's, it's this sense of you're leaving the confines of this world and the, and the barriers of, of the boundaries of what you're imposing on this world and just going beyond, 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 beyond. And that's a, that's a unification of heaven and earth. You see, I, I had a thought. It says, what, what does it say? It says that you have to wipe out a Amalek from below the heavens. Tachas HaShemayim, from below the heavens. So what is the work that we're, we're, we're doing all the time? What is sort of like the grand mission of Torah? It's to bring heaven and earth together. So now listen to that line again, that you have to basically eliminate Amalek, which is this force of negativity, this, this nation that wants to destroy us, this, this, this sense of evil, from underneath the heavens. So if you're trying to unite heaven and earth, and now the, the, the location of Amalek is being identified from underneath the heavens. In other words, what is Amalek doing? It's making a barrier between heaven and earth. Do you understand? From underneath the heavens. You have to lose it from underneath the heavens. That's, that's the idea. In fact, just uh, I'll speed by this point, but those of you who understand will understand. There's, there's, a, there's a verse in the Torah that says that, um, that, that basically this war is ongoing against Amalek. And it talks about, it, it uses this phrase, the Torah uses this phrase, case ka. Okay, case, that's chaf samech, which is a um, sort of a broken form of the word kiseh. Because if you put an aleph at the end of that, that would be kisei, and that could mean throne, not just chair, but throne. And the next word is yud and he, but normally speaking, it would be yud ke vav ke, but it's just the first two letters. So again, you see their letters missing. So it should say kisei Hashem, meaning the throne of God, but instead it says kes ka. So Rashi brings that as long as Amalek is in the world, as long as evil is in this world, it's covering over the complete revelation of the oneness of God. Now, the upper worlds are signified again, you know, whenever you uh, sort of imagine the Yudke Vavke, this name of God, 
I always recommend that you think from like a ladder from above to below, right? So you have Yud and Hey, that represents the upper worlds, and then beneath that, Vav and Hey, that represents these dimensions, right? So isn't it interesting that when it's talking about a Malik, that the Vav and the Hey, which is where we are, so to speak, is, is not mentioned, because a Malik covers over the presence of God. So, so, but the Yud and the He is there. It says, Case Ka, the throne of Yud and He. So what did we just say? That you have to wipe out a Malik from below the heavens. You see, because the Yud and the He are extant, those are there, but as long as a Malik is underneath the heavens, God's presence in these dimensions is not immediately visible or, or relatable. Because you've got evil here. So there's another example of where eliminating a Amalek from beneath the heavens is, you, you, can, you can see it in that way. By the way, the B'nai Yisoskar says something very beautiful. It says in the Mishnah in Megillah that the beginning of the reading of the Megillah, and this is because people were spread out in small villages and things like that, and there was no one there who could read the Megillah. So this was something that was um, sort of uniquely designed for the, that period of history. You could begin the Megillah, reading the Megillah on the 11th, until the 15th, okay? And in the 15th, that was for the walled cities, but on the 11th, that was for the open areas. So listen to what the Vinaya Saskar says. Let's go back to the Yud Kevavke. Yud and He adds up to 15, 10 and 5, that adds up to 15. He says that's the 15th of Adar. That's like the walled cities because that's so high up in terms of the heavenly realms. It's like there's a fortress around it. There are like walls around it, right? Because you can't just ascend to those places, right? But Vav and He, which is for the open areas where you could read it, Vav and He adds up to 11. So from starting from the 11th, you can start reading it in the open areas. That's where we are right here in the open areas. And you can do it all the way up to the 15th, which is the highest reaches in heaven, right? So it shows you how Purim, this idea of Purim, and the Megillah is really talking about everything from the most openly visible things. Remember, what does Megillus Esther mean? Literally, Megillus Esther means revealing the hidden. That's technically what the words Megillus Esther means, revealing the hidden. So you've got the revealed all the way up to the hidden, or the hidden all the way down to the revealed, however you want to learn it out. Okay. Let's get back to Shalach Munus. So, Shalach Munus, the idea is that you want to unify everything. We're unifying heaven and earth, okay? By the way, I noticed something. I don't know if I shared this with you guys yet, but when I saw it, I was like, yeah. So, what is the number? You know, we've gone over this number a lot of times. What is this number, which is shorthand for unifying heaven and earth? That's 91, if you remember. Because that's, that's the Shema Vaya, that's Yudke Vavke, which is 26. And Aleph Dalad Nunin Yud, which is also pronounced Adonai, by the way, and that's 65. So 26 and 65 is 91. And that is, you know, you'll see it in all the, in the, in the deep holy texts that this number 91 means heaven and earth coming together, okay? So, so anyway, isn't it interesting that Motzei Shabbos, when we're finishing up Shabbos, you do the Shemona Esrei, and then you kind of skip to the back of the Siddur, do Vayhi Noam, and then there's one psalm that we read. Only one psalm. And you know what psalm it is? Number 91. Isn't that interesting? N- 91, which is because basically what you're doing, what is Shabbos? Shabbos is heaven. What are the days of the week? That's earth. So here you're leaving Shabbos, but you're not abandoning Shabbos. You're bringing 
heaven into earth. This is 91, this is unification. Okay, so now, Shalach So So Haman says, hey, everyone's spread out. Everyone's disunified. And remember, when we're talking about the ultimate unification, we're talking about heaven and earth. How do we get to that place? By all of us being together. If we can all share one heart, then we can do it. Remember, what happened at Mount Sinai? It says we were like one person with one heart, and then what happened? Heaven comes down to earth. Right? The Torah comes down. So you see that there's a very, very, very exact blueprint or recipe for how all of this happens. When we unify ourselves, heaven and earth come together. That's, that's what it is. So you say, oh, these things are so large, they're so big, how can we ever do them? It's, a, it's so abstract, it's so esoteric, I, I, I don't follow any of this. Love your neighbor. And Reb Shlomo says, what is your neighbor? That's the person next to you. Right? It's not the person who's got the apartment next to you or the house next to you. It's whoever's next to you at the time. That's, that's who your neighbor is. Love your neighbor. So, so if, you, if, you, if you love your neighbor, then, then that's, that's how this, 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 this amazing grand unification takes place. So on Purim, we have all these halachas, Shalach Munis giving food to friends, and then also giving, giving um, money to people who, who need the money. It's, and it's, it's interesting that it's two-pronged because, you know, sometimes, um, y- y- in other words, you're, you're really spreading out a big net in terms of connecting with everyone. You're giving to people who, who need the money and you're also giving to your friends who, who might also need the money, by the way. But, but, but it's a nice, broad spectrum of connecting with everyone, you see? It's, 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 it's really, it's, it's very special. Okay, now let's get to the point. It's like, and I, I learned this, I don't know in whose name, but I learned this, that when, when you give out food to, to, to different people, it's like we're all eating together at the same table. You understand? That's a, that's a very beautiful bit of imagery. Because everyone's exchanging food. So normally speaking, if I ask you, like you would only exchange food that you would eat at the meal if you were at the same table of, as someone else, Right? Like, so this is a way for everyone to be sitting at the same table together. You understand? It's a very beautiful idea, a very beautiful concept. But, but I want to say something else, and here's the point I've sort of been driving toward, which is that here's the interesting halacha. When you give shalach munis to someone, you have to give them food that they can eat right away. Meaning to say, if it's something that is uh, only food that needs to be cooked, then you, you could include that in if you wanted to make like a nice basket. It's, it's up to you. If you wanted to make like a nice basket and you wanted to put like pasta shells in it or something like that, nothing wrong with that. But there has to be two items of different kinds, right, that require different blessings in that thing. Like, like some of the best shalach munis I've ever gotten in my life has been a small brown paper bag with a peanut and an orange. Like, I love it. You know, you got bray priyets, you got bray priyadama. That's it. That's the best way. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to have cellophane on it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's beautiful. It's like, and I don't know, somehow the brown paper bag makes it more beautiful. I don't know. I, maybe that's just me, but that's, there's the mitzvah, like, you know, right there. So, but the idea is both of those things, the peanut and the orange, you can eat right away. 
You see? So, so, so now, based on that, that's the halacha. Okay? And again, if you want to add wine and you want to add all sorts of things, that's up to you. You can do it. But there has to be two things that have to be eaten immediately. And here's, this is my thought, this is what I want to say on a deeper level on, on this halacha. You see, you can give a gift to someone, right? But there are levels. There are levels of an open heart. Where you can give something to someone, but they can't eat it right away. (laughs) And that's a sign that when you gave it, you weren't really all there. Right? You weren't giving it with a complete full heart. But then you can give something to someone which is from a full heart. And what's the proof that it's from a full heart? That you can eat it right away. That there's no shell around it. There's no barrier. There's no levels of preparation. Like, you know, like, do you forgive me? You know what? Let's talk about it. I I hear that I need to... Okay, that's definitely heading in the right direction. That conversation is definitely heading in the right direction. But it's not there yet. Right? Compare that to like a hug and a kiss. It's right there. <laughs> the orange is right there. The peanut is right there. You know, there's no cooking that needs to take place in order for that love to become apparent and manifest and accessible. It's just right there. Right? So I want to say that on a deep level, the idea is that we're not going through the motions of loving each other. We're actually. The Chachamim, the sages, found a way of, of demonstrating real active love in the moment. Amen. And that's by the fact that the foods can be eaten right away. So, so just while we're talking about Shalach I want to throw in something else that I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, and I thought this was really very deep and beautiful. I really, can really think about this for years and years, as, as I've tried to do. He said that he would travel the world and, and, you know, he would be away from his children and he would, you know, be thinking about his children and he'd walk by a store, let's say he'd walk by a store in Vienna or something like this, and he would see a dress in the window and he would think that, oh, you know what, that dress would be so beautiful for my daughter. I wish I could give her that dress, but we're not together or the store's closed or whatever it is, but I have this thought that I would like to do something beautiful for my children, but whatever it is, I can't do it right now. So there's a tradition, I don't know if you're familiar with it, you, you can, according to halacha, give shalach munis directly to the person. But shalach has the, has the same word as shaliach, which means like a messenger. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, and so there is a custom to actually give the shalach munis through an intermediary, okay? Or not to give it directly face-to-face to the person. And by the way, if you do that, the, there's also a custom that if the person who, get, who is the intermediary, you give them a, some sort of tip or something like this. So they, they, they benefit as well of having been the intermediary. So, um, so Rabbi Shlomo says on this that you know why you're not giving it face to face? Because the Shalach Munas is your way of giving them something from all the times when you weren't face to face with them when you were thinking about them, when you wanted to give them something, but they weren't there, you now found a way to give them something, not face-to-face, because th- those were the times when you wish you, you could have given it to them. Right? Can you imagine what a beautiful thing the Torah is, that we have 
a way of, 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 of demonstrating to someone else all the times I thought about you and I wasn't able to give you something, that there's a way of somehow giving them something for all those moments where you weren't able to give them something? That's Shalach Munas. That's Shalach Munas. It's deep. It's deep. That's deep. Um, so... So good poor. <laughs> and uh, just we should really we should really understand that God is giving us the most amazing, amazing, amazing opportunity here. And this whole idea of um, of, of transcending this world, you see you see, there's the transcendence of the world like Yom Kippur. Right? Where it's like, I'm not a person, I'm like an angel. So I was able to somehow transcend this world, right? But what about the ability to transcend this world while you're still a person? That's Purim. That's Purim. That's Purim. That's this idea of Adaluyada. That's this idea that, you see, where you can get above, you can get above this, this, the tree of knowledge. You can, you can get beyond that. See, I heard, um, I heard Rabbi Freeman explain that by the, let's get a little Kabbalistic here, by the Shvirus HaKalim, the shattering of the vessels, which is, you know, a Kabbalistic account of, of the creation of the world. And he went into a lot of details. So I'm really just giving you the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg here. Basically, from this level of Das, you have the upper sphero, Chachma, Bina, and Das. That Chachma and Bina were okay by the Shvira Sakalim, but, but Das really started to get broken and messed up. And then that, that, there was basically a chain reaction through all the sphero, all the way down to Malchus. Malchus survived somehow, right? He says the top of Malchus gets messed up. But basically, you have this big gap between heaven and earth, right? This is from the Spherot model, looking at it. You know, we have all different paradigms of how to understand these things. But just to make it real, he, he was saying, and, and, and it's what we've been talking about the whole time, what is this idea that Hachma remains but, and, 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 and Malchus remains, but there's no bridge between that. That means that there's this division between the mind and the heart. Right? When we're talking about Malchus and, and Hachma, basically, we're talking about the mind and the heart. So the mind and the heart aren't connected. And 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 where does the where does the the the, the first sort of like shattering within that take place in Das? Das, of course, is means integration. Uh, and it, it's the, the English translation would be to know, right? No. And and, 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 and and we mean it in a when we use this word no das we, we also mean this bless you we also mean this in a in a physical intimate sense when it says that Adam knew Chava so it's talking about das is not just an integration of knowledge it can it can exist on the human level in terms of physical intimacy as well so so das is what's getting that's 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 the shattering that sense of connection. Remember, remember, you know, a lot of people look to 
the Rambam as our consummate rationalist. And, and yet the Rambam says that a person has to be to walk around lovesick over God. Amen. So you see that, 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 that there's a tremendous emotionality there even within our most rationalistic paradigm, which means what we, we call this dveikas kite. We call this, uh, this idea that a person during their daily life should be in this state of cleaving to God. So we haven't forgotten about this word das and the, the idea that this das was shattered and that that's where basically the eitz hadas, that's where the snake kind of intervenes, right? And so I just want to maybe conclude. I kind of woke up with this thought. It kind of shocked me this morning. But I, it, it, it's just something to maybe to rest on. So, so when you put on tefillin in the morning, Right? There's the, 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 the final part of putting on tefillin. You, you know, and that's, that's also uniting of the, the mind and the heart because, you know, you're, you're, you're putting it on your... The, the, the psukim are going over your heart. You're putting it on your mind as well. It's the mind and the heart coming together. And then the final thing that you say is, Veristichli li le'olam, Veristichli li betzedek mishpat v'chesed v'rachmin. This is as you're winding it around your finger like a, like a wedding. Like a wedding. And by the way, we say this, we say this in the Navi. This is from the prophet, um, Yeshaya. And, oh no, Hoshea. Is it Hoshea? Is that what it says here? Yeah, Hoshea, sorry. Hoshea, we say this before Shavuos. Because Shavuos is the, that's, it's, this is always the Haftar before Shavuos. This is uh, Rabbi Wolfson's observation. Because what is Mount Sinai? That's the binding of heaven and earth, the wedding between God and the Jewish people, right? So, so, so we're saying these, these wedding vows. Um, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, kindness, and mercy. Yeah. And the, the very last uh, phrase here is veristichli bemuna viadat es Hashem. I will marry you, betroth you to me with fidelity, and you shall know Hashem. Isn't it interesting that the whole culmination, the whole culmination of this whole process of, of marrying yourself, so to speak, of binding yourself, so to speak, is it culminates with this word to know. And we're saying that that's where das, that's, that's, that's the sphere where, where the disconnect happens. See, because... What we don't want to be, bless you, what we don't want to be is just like it's in our head but it's not in but it's not in our heart. And the same is true the other way around. It's in our heart but it's not in our head. If a person wants to really live this, if they want to if they want to live Purim, if they want to if they want to if they if, if they want to be as for real, as Reb Shlomo would say, like the, the greatest compliment I ever heard him use in terms of describing someone who is like really there was, was the, that person's for real. Mm. Like that was, you know, if you want to be for real, it's about, it's about the head and the heart serving God together. And that's the concept, that's the fixing of Das. That's the fixing of Das. You know, on the, on the Kabbalistic model, that's, that's the bridge, that's the bridge between, between Malchus and, and the upper spheres, Right? Uh, on the human, you know, relatable level, that's the head and the heart together. 
right? On the sort of the grander level, that's heaven and earth coming together. That's, that's a Moloch being removed, wiped out from underneath the heavens so that the above and below can come together, right? And, and, and it, all, it all happens when God ceases to be an abstraction and becomes the reality of the world. When, when, you, when you realize, like, as, as I heard Gedalia Gerfein say so, so beautifully, it changed my life, this, this one simple way of phrasing it. He says, what's the difference between a monotheist and a polytheist, right? So a polytheist believes in many gods. So they believe um, God is in the sky and God is in the ocean and God is in the forests and everything like this. A monotheist believes in one God. And he says, that means that you believe that the entire world is inside God. Right? So if you believe that the whole world is inside God and that God saturates all of creation and then also exists beyond as well, exists beyond, right? Then, then you understand he's here right now. He's never not here right now. Whatever you're doing, he's here right now. And that that's the greatest news in the world. And that's what Purim is coming to teach us. Even when we don't see his presence, he's here right now. He's never not here right now. And 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 this is this is the, this is the greatest thing. Okay. Glad. So just to just to really conclude, just I, I just want to try to just explain what is this Adaloyada kind of state of consciousness, this idea of um, of you know I'm not going to say the shorthand of drinking, but again it doesn't have to be through drinking. Like the Rambam says that you can get to this place of beyond knowing. Um, with um, by taking a nap, right? Because when you when you when you take a nap, when when you take a nap, you uh, you don't know what's going on, right? So so you can you can do it that way. But the and, and if someone is going to do it through drinking, um, just be aware that the the point is not to make a fool or a, a slob out of yourself or to embarrass yourself or your friends or your community. You, you have to. You have to get wasted in a very dignified way. <laughs> so, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea is not to... Remember, according to the Rambam, if you sleep, you're unconscious, you fulfill it. But if you're not going to do it through sleeping, if you're going to do it through drinking, the point is not to drink till you are unconscious. <laughs> these, are, these are two separate sheetas. <laughs> these are two separate approaches. You just have to kind of get to this loose place where, you see, like Reb Shlomo says, what's the difference between a regular drunk and a Purim drunk, right? So normally speaking, a regular drunk, as he drinks, he sees double, he sees triple, he sees quadruple, right? But a Purim drunk, if, if there are four things in front of him, all he sees is one thing. If there are three things in front of him, all he sees is one thing, right? All you're seeing is the oneness of God, for real. That's the idea, that you're just getting to this kind of loose place where you're just seeing the oneness of God. And the idea is that you're doing it while you're still in this world. You're not making yourself like an angel. You're doing it from, from the here and now you're doing it. This is, this is the amazing thing. And what's even more amazing is that you're bringing heaven down to earth because you're realizing that really it's just ever, it's all God. It's only God. You understand? So that's, that is the heaven-earth kind of like integration when you can drink to that point, or what, we're just talking about drinking right now, where, where basically you just realize, wow, 
it's all it's 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 all only you right that's that's the heaven coming down to earth moment that that's the moment where the heart is open right so so that's and then when you get to that place just kind of stay there for a moment at that point you're yotze you don't have to drink anymore okay now for some questions and answers so the question is, what's the connection between Parsha's Tetzaveh, which we just read and often comes with Purim, which is talking about the clothing of the big day kahuna, the, 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 the kahanim in the, in, the, in, the, in the Mishkan, and Purim, right? Because they always seem to come together. So I'd like to suggest the following. I'm sure other people say it, but no one told me, which is that it begins with the light of the menorah. So everything begins, everything is with the light of God. And what does clothing do? Clothing covers you over. Right? So you have the clothing covering over the light. That's poor. Right? But you understand that the, 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 the light is always, is always there. And if there's a great teaching on this word begged, um, which is that begged, which means clothing, which is to cover over. Begged is base gimel dalit, which is, in other words, it's, 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 it's starting with the, it's, it's going according to the olive base. In other words, the first letter of the olive base is olive, base gimel dalit. So begged covering over it, it, it can mean one of two things. It can either be you're covering over the olive, right? Which is why begged is the same root as bogade, which means to betray. So sometimes when you cover over something, you're you're concealing the truth because the olive is getting covered over by the base gimel dalit. Other times, though, clothing can be a beautification, where you're actually bringing out your inner beauty through your clothes. So the Beis Gimel Dalit is coming to highlight and accentuate the Aleph. You see? So, so it's, it's, it's a question whether clothing is an ultimate act of betrayal, which would be like when you're in disguise, or whether it's a beautification, meaning to say you're revealing your inner, your inner beauty. So Purim would definitely be, it looks like it's just the base, you know, Gimel Dalit. And then all of a sudden it flourishes and then you realize, wow, the olive was shining the entire time.